I think the first hire needs to be a generalist. I think that's a, also a trap that a lot of companies fall into is like, oh, we just need a growth person. It's like, well, we use this analogy a lot in terms of marketing when you think about fuel and engine. So fuel is the positioning, messaging, story. Engine is like the channels, the distribution for that. Sometimes a growth problem or an engine problem is often more of a fuel problem masked as an engine problem. Because if you go and put a bunch of stuff out in these channels, but it's bad content or bad fuel, then it's not going to convert and actually not going to drive growth. And so you need a generalist marketer who is both fuel and engine and spikes in the areas that you need most. Often call this like a pie-shaped marketer. So versus a, a T, like two legs of the stool. So a pie-shaped marketer is generally spikes in one of the three areas areas of marketing, like product marketing, content marketing, or growth marketing, but they're proficient in a second one. And so you need to hire someone who's broad enough because as the first marketer, they're doing everything. Hi, and welcome to the Optimize Podcast. My name is Nate Matherson, and I'm your host. On this weekly podcast, we sit down with some of the smartest minds in content marketing, SEO, and growth marketing. Our goal is to give you perspective and insights on what's moving the needle. Today's episode is a unique and special one. In our episode today, we chat with Kathleen Estrike. Kathleen is the co-founder of Market One, a venture capital firm investing in early stage B2B companies. Market One has a unique value prop in that it specializes in providing hands-on marketing help to its portfolio companies. Before getting into VC, Kathleen ran marketing orgs at companies like Facebook, Intercom, Box, and Scalar. In our episode today, Kathleen and I go deep on all things customer acquisition and marketing for early stage technology companies, channels, hiring, and more. There's a lot for us to discuss. And this episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by Positional. If you don't know by now, my name's Nate and I'm one of the co-founders of Positional. And I'm really excited to announce that we just launched our content analytics tool set. This has very quickly become my favorite feature. It's one that I've wanted for the last 10 years. And it's really effective in identifying which pages on your site users might be having a low quality experience on. What we do is we track metrics like scroll depth, bounce rate, and time on page to score your pages and then allow you to go deeper to see where within a piece of content, for example, which paragraph is causing people to leave or where, for example, you might want to add a call to action within that page. This tool set is called Content Analytics. It's our newest feature. I'm stoked about it and you should be too. Kathleen, thank you so much for coming on the Optimize podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. The first question I ask all of our guests usually is how did you get into the world of content marketing and SEO? But in your case, how did you get into the world of growth and marketing and now venture capital? Yeah, so I took, I guess, a winding journey into venture capital, but somewhat predictable in terms of going from operating to investing. So I started my career in tech 16 plus years ago when I started at Facebook. I joined there right out of school and actually almost didn't take my first job. My first job there was in customer support where I joined two weeks after I graduated, drove cross country and lived in my brother's garage in Mountain View <laughs> at his house. And, uh, and then spent six years in, in various marketing roles there. I spent eight year or eight months on the customer support team and then moved on to the PR team and then worked in various marketing roles. Then after six years, a year after the IPO, 
I went to Box to lead the platform marketing team there as we were starting to productize our APIs. After two years there, I went to Intercom as we were really scaling up uh, our go-to-market teams, particularly in San Francisco. A lot of the R&D teams in Dublin were pretty built out. Spent some time there kind of helping the company think about how to move up market, build out various functions there, and then went to a startup at the seed stage where I was the 13th employee because I really wanted to keep going smaller and smaller and earlier and earlier. And so I, I led the marketing team at Scaler and then broadened beyond that and, and led all of operations. So that was all the business functions outside of sales. So about two years after working there, we got a new CEO and I transitioned out of the company a couple months after that transition and then had a baby and then was really starting to think about what was next and teamed up with my business partner, Emily Kramer who uh, I had met several years prior when she was leading marketing at Asana because she actually hired my sister onto her marketing team. And so Emily and I started working together just over three years ago, advising startups and just saw a really big gap in the market in terms of most founders not really understanding marketing and most investors not understanding marketing. And so we decided to start Market One to really help fill that gap in the ecosystem and help bring marketing expertise to early stage companies. I do want to talk about marketing growth, but I have a couple of quick follow-ups on the fund. How hard is it to raise a venture capital fund? Very hard, especially uh, first-time funds, I think, are hard. We started raising in uh, 2021. It was a bit easier. Just finished raising. So we've raised almost $6 million. I've invested in 20 companies so far. I think the market changed in the time that we started raising to, to now. Our value prop resonated. One of the interesting things we tried to do early on in terms of uh, our fund was, was take a look at our LP base. So one of the things that we noticed being marketing operators is there weren't a lot of marketers investing in companies and that expertise is super valuable. So one of the things we tried to do with our fund was to get more marketers investing. And so we targeted senior marketing leaders to become LPs or limited partners or investors in, in our fund. And so we're really proud that we have 70 plus marketer LPs as part of our fund, in addition to you know general partners at other early stage funds, institutional capital like Bain Capital. But I think we have a really interesting LP base that, that also helps us with our value add in terms of mar bringing marketing expertise to these early stage companies. Yeah, VCs and their value add is something that's often joked about on platforms like Twitter and LinkedIn. And I've had like probably about 60 investors in my companies over the last 10 years. And there's probably two of them that stand out as being helpful. But those two have been like incredibly helpful over and over again. And like I'll go to like a venture capital firm's website and it's like, we'll help you with this and we'll help you with that. You have a very specific value prop, though, in that like you help your portfolio companies with marketing and go to market. What does that usually mean like for those companies that you invest in? We just ask, how can we be helpful? No, just kidding. <laughs> um, no, so for us, we say, you know, our, we're a value add check. So we're not leading rounds. We're collaborating with lead investors when we invest in companies. And we're very clear about what we're going to help with. We focus on two key areas that I think are the highest leverage points for us and for the companies. The first is hiring. So if you hire the right first marketer, you're better set up for success to do marketing well. And most companies actually don't hire the right first marketer. So we help in a very hands-on way through referrals and through interviewing and, and shaping the role before they ever hire on the marketing side to make sure that they hire the right first person. 
The second area where we help them is setting the right marketing strategy. And so I think oftentimes the biggest fail mode for startups on the marketing side is they try and do everything or they try and do someone else's playbook or they aren't sure kind of where to focus and what to do, or they they try and just do one thing. And so for us, we make sure that they're focused on building the right marketing strategy so that they are focusing on impact over a bunch of activities. And so those are the two areas where we're super involved with our companies. And I saw on LinkedIn, you recently wrote that founders hire the first marketer wrong or incorrectly 50% of the time at our company, assuming we're making our first marketing hire and we're, we're an early stage company. What would you be looking for in that candidate or that hire? Yeah. So I think there's a couple characteristics that are important and then a few things that matter specific to the company. So first is you need to hire someone who is a strategic executor is how I would describe that. Like they've worked enough to know how to set a strategy, but they're not so senior that they don't want to roll their sleeves up and actually do the work. And so that tends to be like four to seven years of experience. I think if you hire someone too junior, they're just going to do a bunch of things that don't tie to a bigger strategy. And if you hire someone too senior, they aren't used to actually doing the individual contributor work. So I think that's the first thing. Second is that they have experience in your business model. So if you are a PLG motion or self-serve motion, inbound driven, you need someone who's done marketing for that. If you're a top-down sales motion, you need a marketer who's done that. If you're somewhere in between, you need someone who's who has experience on that. If you think about from a marketing perspective, it's a very different skill set to do each of those business model motions. I think that's actually far more important than domain expertise for the product that you're marketing because you can get up to speed on the on the specific, you know, audience that you're that you're marketing to, but it's a lot harder to kind of bring those those marketing skills. I think the first hire needs to be a generalist. I think that's a, also a trap that a lot of companies fall into is like, "Oh, we just need a growth person." It's like, "Well, we use this analogy a lot in terms of marketing when you think about fuel and engine." So, Fuel is the positioning, messaging, story. Engine is like the channels, the distribution for that. Sometimes a growth problem or an engine problem is often more of a fuel problem masked as an engine problem. Because if you go and put a bunch of stuff out in these channels, but it's bad content or bad fuel, then it's not going to convert and actually not going to drive growth. And so you need a generalist marketer who is both fuel and engine and spikes in the areas that you need most. Often call this like a pie-shaped marketer, so versus a, a T, like two legs of the stool. So a pie-shaped marketer is generally spikes in one of the three areas of marketing, like product marketing, content marketing, or growth marketing, but they're proficient in a second one. And so you need to hire someone who's broad enough because as the first marketer, they're doing everything. They're not just doing you know, the the positioning, they're also thinking about distribution. They're not just doing the channel strategy, but they're figuring out what content fits into that. And so I think that's another thing that you need someone who's broad enough and not just coming from one discipline within marketing. That's why often actually product marketers make good first marketers, someone who comes up through product marketing, because if you think about product marketers are responsible for understanding the audience, creating content, but also if they're owning launches, like how are you distributing that content through launches? So oftentimes the first marketer has some blend of product marketing experience and then has either content and growth or growth with that. So it sounds like we should hire a generalist who's not too experienced, but not inexperienced. Uh, like you said, maybe four to seven years of 
of experience kind of has been there and done that. And it, you also mentioned that it would be, I think, ideal if they do have like direct experience in, in maybe one channel or there's maybe one channel they're really good at and then maybe a secondary channel they're kind of good at alongside being just capable overall. Does that feel right? I don't know. I don't think the channel is as important. Like, what do you mean by channel? I guess like I would think that like an early stage hire would want to have a skill set that is aligned to one of those early stage channels that might be working for the business. For example, like AdWords or like SEO or like TikTok ads or whatever it might be. Is that important? Well, sometimes companies don't know what channels are working yet. And so if you hire someone who's very good at a particular channel, and then maybe that channel doesn't actually work for the company. That's why I think it needs to be a generalist person who can test a few different channels for you or like bring in a contractor to help with that. Because if they only specialize in one channel and that channel doesn't end up moving the needle for the business, then that person is maybe less valuable. That's where I would say like generalist growth versus like specific special specialization on AdWords. Maybe once you've proven out that channel, that may be a second hire. But I think the first hire needs to be pretty generalist. So it's the first hire's job to like prove out the channel in a sense. And then like once we see that it's working, then we would bring in like a specialist to like fully own that channel. Yeah. And that specialist could either be a full-time person or an agency or contractor. Like I think the first hire's job and something else they should be really good at is being able to hire and manage contractors. Uh, Because oftentimes the budgets of early stage companies just doesn't justify multiple heads, probably until series A. Sometimes you have two marketers at seed. It really depends. But oftentimes you're just uh, supplementing yourself with contractors. What does it cost to hire our first marketer? Uh, it depends. Like salary wise, um, I think there's a range. We've written about this on our newsletter, but I think it depends on the market, the range. I think four to seven years is a pretty broad range. And depending on where they are and what those experiences are that they're bringing to the table, I, I think that there's a lot of factors. I would say it's somewhere in the 140 to 180 ish. Oftentimes, like you, there might be exceptions where you go up to 200. And then I think on the equity side, the reason you join an early stage company is because you believe in the equity. If you're a marketer who really cares about cash, don't join an early stage company. Uh, you're going to get higher cash elsewhere. And so I think you really have to believe in the equity and want to want to make it worth something. Uh, and so I think that's where it'd be a heavier equity package than cash package. I know you mentioned like optimizing for a first marketer who has experience in like your motion, for example, PLG. If someone doesn't have experience in your motion, would that like immediately weed them out of the hiring process in your opinion? Generally, yeah. But I think there's exceptions to every rule. And so I think a lot of the characteristics that I talked about if they're missing just one thing, that's fine. Like if it's their first time doing PLG, but they they check every other box um, or it's their first time in a startup, they've only worked at bigger companies, but they check every other box. What you don't want to have is have it be their first time with that go-to-market motion. Have it be their first time at a startup. Have it be their first time being a generalist. Like if there's all these firsts, they're not going to be set up for success. And I think you're going to figure that out pretty quickly. And so with all of these things, there's always a candidate who breaks every rule. But I think generally, I double click into the areas that they don't have that experience to make sure that you feel confident that they can get there. I think if they've also proven like, hey, I didn't have experience here, but I figured it out. That's a good signal for you as the, the founder or hiring manager that they can 
learn these things and they have a willingness to get there. But I think if there's too many of those where it's the first time, I'd be pretty concerned about their ability to hit the ground running and and do what you need them to do. I have a couple of follow-up questions. And this is probably a bit of like a, a generalization, um, but say we've got a candidate that's got like six years of experience in early stage, high growth B2B with our motion. Is that candidate going to be on average like a much better hire than a candidate who has like six years of big company experience, even with that same motion? I guess what I'm trying to ask is, should we try to hire first marketing hires who have been first marketing hires before? Is that a good thing to do versus hiring someone who who doesn't yet have that experience? So if you think about marketing roles at big companies, each role is very narrow. So you're owning a piece of a piece of the pie. When you work at a startup, you're owning, your job description is, is just scratching the surface of all the stuff that you're going to do because the team is really small. And so I worry about people coming from big companies that they don't have visibility or that um, ability to see all the how all the pieces fit together because they often have just like a pretty narrow view of things. That being said, if you work at a really good big company, you know what great looks like. And I think sometimes people who've only worked at startups and maybe the startups they worked at didn't do great, they might not know what great looks like. So it's a balance there of can they like put all the pieces together in a generalist way where they have had exposure to, you know, if you're a PMM at a big company, you really only sit in the PMM org and don't have any exposure to like the growth team or the demand gen team or the content team. Those are separate teams. And so it really depends on how the marketing team at a big company is set up and how much visibility you have into that. But I worry about their ability, someone who's at a big company, their ability to kind of come back and, and put the pieces together. But they might know what great looks like in a way that someone who's only worked at super small companies might not have ever seen that. And so it's a it's a balance there. But I think typically a really good first marketing hire is someone who was like a number two at a really good company that grew. And they are now excited to take everything they learned and, and go be the first person and, and do it as the first marketer. At the early stage, there are so many channels we could experiment with and on. And I am very much a chase shiny object type person. And I often have to like pull myself back and focus on like the channels that I actually think could move the needle the fastest. So there are so many channels startups could think about. And given that you've invested in, I think, like 20 plus companies now, you've spent a lot of time with these teams on go to market. What are those channels like on average that you think I don't know if on average is the right word, but like what are two or three of those channels that like are just obviously channels we need to be spending time on in the first one to two years of of building out this motion? Yeah, so I think companies need to, before you start thinking about channels, there's some work you need to do to figure out that will then make the channels very obvious. So the first is really going and doing the work of like understanding your audience. Like who are we targeting? Where do they hang out? What information do they care about? What what gets them promoted in their job? What's their day-to-day? What other tools are they using? How do they find information? How do they like to be sold to? Second is figuring out what's your go-to-market motion. What do we think? What is our average contract value? If it's on the lower end, then you're probably going to be some form of, you know, a a self-serve motion or a top-down sales motion. That'll help you figure out like a lot of the channels that you potentially think about. And then the third thing, which is kind of a market one framework that we created, which is marketing advantages. So what are the things in your business that are going to help you grow faster? Things like a network effect, things like 
some sort of community? Are there ecosystem players that like partnerships can help drive? Is there a really strong kind of founder market fit story? So there's kind of three categories of, of marketing advantages. The first are product driven, second ecosystem, and third is like marketing, marketing advantages. And so I think before you even go to say these channels are going to work for me, you have to do the work of figuring out who's the audience, what's our go-to-market motion, what are our marketing advantages. And then from that, the channels will become a lot clearer. So if you figure those things out, then you'll understand. So if you're targeting marketers, marketers are often on LinkedIn. <laughs> and uh, what are they and and some of these communities that that people run where like a lot of marketers are part of them that I'm sure a lot of your audience actually knows or, or are a part of. So then the question is, okay, how do you differentiate on LinkedIn? What are the things that the audience actually cares about? Because it's not just the channel. It's not just the engine. It's what fuel should I put into this channel that's going to resonate and be value add and help me drive conversion, whether that's to you know a demo or to, the, to try the product. And so if you have a network effect product or a free version of the product. And I think there's there's things that you should do almost within the product that'll help you grow faster versus thinking of maybe it's like in-product channels versus external channels. So it really depends on the company and the business. But I think the channels become super obvious once you actually understand who your audience is, what your go-to-market motion is, and what those marketing advantages are that are going to help you drive growth. Is it the founder's job to figure that out first before they hire a marketing hire? Or is that the marketing hire's job? A great founder, hopefully, uh, can identify that, but not always because what we talked about earlier, why market one exists is most founders don't come from a marketing background. And so I think marketers can come in and add a ton of value there and accelerate that. I think the marketing advantages are somewhat innate within the business. And if you don't have a marketing advantage, then I think the marketer needs to work with the founder to figure out how you create one, because I don't think companies will win if they don't have one. And so I think the go to the go to market motion often is dictated by the ACV of the product and where it fits. And then understanding the audience, hopefully the founders started this company because they understand the audience. Um, and I would put that in like a founder market fit, you know, and these are all things, all criteria that as a marketer, if you're joining a company, I would ask all these questions to figure out like, is this a company that I can be successful at running marketing for? Because uh, that's what we look for in the companies we invest in. And if you can't do that, then I think there's open questions where yes, a marketer can come in and help solve this, but some things are pretty innate within the business and in this context where, if the founder doesn't really understand the audience or you have no unique perspective on why you started the company, then I think that makes the marketer's job significantly more difficult. You said something interesting there. And again, probably a generalization for me, but say we've got like two founders, they're both extremely talented, both extremely technical, and we're in a pretty heavy industry. Um, but neither have like any marketing experience. Is that like a situation where one of those founders could lead on lean on a really talented first marketing hire to help them figure that out? Or do you would you still expect like those really technical founders to at least make a go at it and, and do their best first? So I think founders have to have some of this because if you think about the job of the founder and CEO, they are the they are the spokesperson for the company. In a venture-backed company, they're out there raising money and having to convince people. They, their first job is, is in sales and marketing. So what's the story of why we exist? And then how do we convince people to get on this journey with us by giving us money? And I think if you can't do that, it's going to hamper your ability 
to grow and to hire great people. Think about the job of the CEO. So your job, Nate, is to hire the best people, make sure that you're building a compelling product for the right audience and making sure as many people know about that as possible. Like that's you know, a lot of your job. And if you as a founder can't do some of the basics there, even if you've never done it before, it's your job to learn how to get good at it. Because in order for the company to grow, you have to be good at those things or get good at those things. I think that's a good question. That was actually one of the lessons we learned when we were advising companies is like, the best product doesn't always win. You have to differentiate on go to market. And if you don't do that, then we've seen that time and time again. So even if the two founders are technical, one of them or both of them have to think about, okay, we've built this thing. How are we going to think about like distribution and actually building a business? Because otherwise you just have a cool product that no one uses. That's a really interesting statement. Have you seen like a truly incredible product fail or have you seen a company with a truly incredible product fail because they couldn't figure out marketing? I think there's tons of them. So here's an example, like look at this is kind of an older example, but like Slack versus HipChat, like same product. I have no idea what HipChat is. So It was in that last same product. Uh. <laughs> and clearly they failed because I've not even heard of HipChat. All things equal, like between two products, it sounds like the company that does have the better marketing and go-to-market function will win in that scenario. I mean, we built our whole fund thesis around this that we don't, we think a great product is not enough. It's important. Like if you have a terrible product, no one's going to use it. If you have a good product and great go-to-market, you will win over a great product and no go-to-market. Can you have a pretty crappy product, but a fantastic marketing and go-to-market motion and still win? I think that only gets you so far because uh, because then you know people will start using the product. If you don't do what, what people expect, then I think that's challenging. But that can mask some some growth. Like you could have great go-to-market and a mediocre product, but then you catch up quickly if you can build build fast enough to keep up with the demand. But over time, if you don't have a there, I think there's a floor for how good your product has to be for people to keep using it. And I do want to take a step back. Uh, you mentioned like, we don't want to hire as our first marketing hire, like a senior exec or someone who has just not been doing the work for some time. When does it make sense to hire a more senior like VP or exec to come in and, and support or manage this, this marketing function? Early stage marketing leaders often have, I think, good runway, but they're, they might hit a ceiling. And the ceiling is likely because you're growing fast, which is a good problem to have. I saw this a lot, actually, when I worked at Facebook during hyper growth. It was like people were doing their jobs and then the business was just growing so much faster. So we brought in some leaders, um, some external leaders to help kind of scale to the next phase of growth. I think when you hire an early stage marketing leader, oftentimes, I don't think they need to be your... Series C VP of marketing. Some people continue on the on that trajectory and and grow with the business, and that's awesome. But I don't think that should be the expectation when you're hiring them. I think you should think about them for like one to two phases of growth. So your first head of marketing at the seed stage, maybe they can still scale as your head of marketing for Series A. But then when you hit Series B, you really need someone who has that you know 10 million ARR plus experience. Um, and building a bigger team. But that doesn't mean that marketer needs to leave. They can just maybe take a smaller piece of the marketing team. Um, like if they're a good product marketer, they become head of product marketing instead of head of all of marketing. Um, I think when you start bringing in different leaders, I think it's it's because you've hit an inflection point where what you were doing isn't going to work for the next phase of growth. And I think that's dependent on the business and who you've brought in 
and the ability for your marketing leader to scale with that and or not. And that's not always a failure of them. It's like a good problem to have if you got them from, you know, C to series B, that's awesome. That That's a great validation that they did a lot of the right things. I think when you're hiring, don't try and hire for series C if you're a seed stage company, because you got to earn the right to get there. And a lot of the foundational work that you need to do to get there is very different than the skills of people joining at that stage to get you to the next phase of growth. What are the skills of someone joining at that stage? Or what are the skills of a more seasoned exec that might come in to run our marketing function at, at the series C? So I spent a lot less time there, but I think generally it's they know what great looks like. They're able to hire and build a team. They're able to set a good strategy. And a lot of that is just connecting the dots. And they have a good executive presence to work with peers on the sales and product and engineering side where they're able to surface sort of the marketing perspective at the executive level. So a lot of it's like executive presence. You know, I think that they have seen scale and are able to level up the team and bring people along with them. It's a big management job at that point because the team is probably 20 or 30 people at least. And so a lot of it is like putting the pieces together and able to hire really strong leaders within each sub-function and building a, a um, solid marketing strategy. A lot of that work is more strategic and management than doing the day-to-day -day IC work. And so I think it's just different jobs. It's, it's very different jobs. And so the people who are really good in one area are often not good in the other and vice versa. Like a CMO is going to be a terrible first marketer oftentimes because they haven't been in the weeds writing a blog post or you know, doing a launch plan for a new product or feature in a long time. And so it's just different skill sets. And some people love the early stage in the building phase. Other people love the later stage stuff. And, and there's no right or wrong answer there. It's just figuring out what gets you excited and then go build the skills that you need to do that well. And what's the role of a CRO in all of this? So I think CRO at early stage companies is really just a glorified VP of sales who wants a C-level title. Um, but I, I think they often are running sales and customer success and support often. Uh, I think that at early stage companies, which is where I spend a lot of my time, the role of CRO, marketing should never roll into a CRO because I think that sales and marketing need to be on equal footing. I think the tension between sales and marketing is healthy. And I think sales is very focused on the short term and marketing is very focused on the short and long term. And so I think if you put marketing under a CRO in the early stage, uh, they're not going to make any of the big bets that are going to help you hit your quarter next year. And it'll be turned into just a service organization to sales. And it'll be very incremental versus the bigger bets that I think marketing is capable of. So I think the CRO generally is a title. I, this is somewhat controversial. And I think a lot of people have strong opinions around it. I will say, speaking from early stage companies, I think the title, the role of CRO is often just a sales role with a glorified title. And I know you do some pre-seed investments too. Like, Should we even be thinking about marketing at the pre-seed stage or is it just like too early to worry about? I think you're always maybe thinking about marketing. Like I mentioned earlier, so you're, you have a pitch deck, you have a website, at a pre-seed company, you're trying to get early customers or design partners, and you need to be able to tell them what you're building and why they should care and understand your audience. So the founders are doing marketing. The founders are the first marketer always. And so I think that is pretty essential to pre-seed is 
nailing the story and the value prop of why you exist, and then being able to articulate that to the customer. So a lot of it's customer discovery, and you're selling that to investors and you're selling that to you know early design partners and customers. And that's marketing. You have a website. What are you writing on the website? That you know, <laughs> that's all. Uh, that's all marketing. So I think you need to be thinking about it. And when you think about building a company, you should be thinking about not just what am I building. But how am I going to get that in the hands of my ideal customers and get feedback and, you know, grow? Like those marketing advantages are pretty important to think about in the early days as a founder. Like that's how you're going to convince people to invest in your company, I think, is like, here's how we're going to, here's our, our advantage in terms of our distribution or the ecosystem play we're going to have. Or me as a founder, I'm the right person to build this. Like those are all part of your marketing strategy. And so... I think that's really important, often overlooked. And I think the companies who think about it early are the ones who tend to grow faster. Yeah. And I disagree with this statement, but I've heard a lot of investors say to like founder friends of mine that like, you shouldn't worry about marketing until you figured out the product. Is that just totally wrong? So it depends on how they're defining marketing. I think that you don't need to hire a marketer in the seed stage, but you need to be thinking about marketing. How are you going to get your first few customers? So we invested in a pre-seed company called Toolflow um, that's early days building the product, but they're building a community while they're building the product to get feedback on it. And so I think there's a lot of stuff you can be doing to validate your idea that's marketing, but you're not hiring a marketer to do it. You're just doing it. And so, yes, you shouldn't hire a marketer and you should figure out like what you're building, but how are you going to go out and talk to customers about it? The way you position it and talk about it is marketing, even though maybe you're not calling it marketing. And speaking of your portfolio, is there one company that stands out as just totally crushing it with go-to-market and marketing over this last year? I think Pocus is one that we point to a lot. Um, so they're a product for B2B companies, their marketer, well, their founder, Alexa, and their marketer, Sandy are excellent. And actually what's interesting about them is they started with a community before they ever had a product. So starting with marketing in a lot of ways to get feedback. So they're a product that's helping product-led sales teams uh, get the data that they need to, to make better decisions. And I think that what they did particularly well is they understood their audience and started doing community outreach and uh, a lot of sales leaders were trying to figure out like how do we you know take product insights into our sales process and so they did a bunch of AMAs with these sales leaders that then helped inform what are the biggest challenges put that onto the product roadmap and a lot of those sales leaders ended up you know being early customers and also investing in the company cuz they were like this is a company that really understands us and is trying to build the right product for us and I do want to ask about your newsletter uh, because you've got one and we're going to link to it in the show notes. And you've got like over 30,000 subscribers, I think. What makes for a fantastic newsletter? So I think on the newsletter front, it's it's something that we started initially pre-fund actually uh, because we kept getting a lot of the same questions from founders. And so our first one is actually, if you look back in the history of the newsletter, it was about a marketing org chart because the conversations we kept having over and over with founders was like, there's three buckets of marketing, there's product marketing, and this is what that means. There's content marketing, and this is what that means. There's growth marketing, and this is what that means. And so as topics kept coming up, we, we would ad hoc just start writing about them. And then about a year and a half ago, 
we were, we um, decided to actually double down on the newsletter and content to help the marketers that we worked with, help the founders that we were trying to invest in and help build our brand and scale up a lot of the help that we were giving to marketers. So Emily, my co-founder, uh, focused on once a month newsletter topics that were kind of a lot of the questions we were getting from marketers in our network and then would write a newsletter about that. And so I think a couple of things have contributed to that. One, I think Emily Emily's a fantastic marketer herself. I always say, tell her this, but she's the best marketer I've ever worked with. She's really, really good. So she, I think, is a very good writer. So that helps. Um, <laughs> I do the editing, but it's very light because she's a very good writer. So, and then I think cadence. So we do it once a month. People can expect that. And they're pretty deep dives. And a lot of the reason we do it once a month deep dives is because it takes a month to write it. There's a bunch of templates and frameworks that go with it. There's a bunch of visuals that go with it. But we try and do things that are unique and value add and useful to our community. And a lot of that is validated through answering questions that we get over and over. So we have a whole ecosystem that we've built where like we're getting a lot of the same questions and um, trying to provide the frameworks that, that are helpful to people. And so for us, I think it's been a steady growth over time and initially started off as, hey, let's answer these questions. And then when we really started to focus on it, because I think it's a pretty, pretty strategic asset for us as a, as a fund and a business, it helps us provide value to people before we invest in them. A lot of folks that we do, founders that we do invest in have said, oh, I read your newsletter. It, was, it helped me do X, which is really nice for us because then we're going in, we say we're value add, which we, what we talked about at the beginning. And how do, you how do you prove that you're actually value add is add value. And so we try and add value before we ever invest by pointing folks to the newsletter. And that's sort of our best marketing asset for us. Yeah, you're you're using content to support the buyer journey, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean we're marketers, so that's kind of how we think about it. Is it it has helped us really build our brand and uh, show people a little bit about how we think about marketing. And I've got eight rapid fire questions. I usually don't have eight. I usually have like three or four, and I come up with these as we go. Uh, so hopefully we will get to all of them. Can I jump into the rapid fire round? Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds good. My first question is on newsletter metrics. What are the one or two like core metrics you need to be tracking for the health or success of your newsletter? So we look at subscribers, we look at unsubscribe, and then we look at uh, engagement. Webinars? Should we still be doing webinars? Do they work? I think they do work depending on your audience. If you have something important and if that's how your audience actually consumes information. Demonstrating ROI, and I realize this is probably not a rapid fire question, for an early stage marketer might be somewhat hard, especially if the company is still trying to find like product market fit. And I guess my question is like, for an early stage marketing hire, should they be generating net positive ROI like within that first year uh, of joining a company in terms of what they cost versus what they're ultimately delivering that we can track? I think that it's hard. I wouldn't judge them like a salesperson. I think because they should be helping you learn along the way. I think that's the most important thing is the learnings and can they iterate quickly. And sometimes the stuff that you try, like especially early days, a lot of it might not work. And so you want to make sure they're experimenting. So I don't think they need to be uh, in the same way that a salesperson is very measurable. I think there are additional metrics for a marketer that I would not say are just tied to revenue. It's tied to revenue, but it, it's a different time horizon. When you're looking at hiring someone, how important is that person's ability to write? 
Super important. I think writing is very, very important. I think every company who's hiring a marketer needs to do some form of a written assignment to make sure that they can write. The seed stage market. I know that the venture markets have changed quite a bit over the last few years. What does seed stage look like right now? I think seed is still pretty active and competitive. I think the bar from going from seed to series A has certainly changed a ton. And so we're seeing less series A's happening, but seed is still super active. And a lot of the later stage funds are getting into seed, which is causing some interesting uh, dynamics. But I think seed, seed is definitely happening across the board. Things are tougher than they were two years ago, but uh, I think that's showing up a lot in series A. My next question was on series A. What's a series A milestone that a B2B SaaS company should be shooting for right now? I think that's a good question. We had our first company raise their Series A from our portfolio, and they were uh, over $2 million in ARR growing quickly. Uh, I think it depends on, again, the market you're in, who the founders are. Not all revenue is created equal, but I think the metrics definitely are somewhere in the $1 to $2 million and a strong growth trajectory. What's the number one reason you pass on an investment? I would say... Probably two things. One is for us specifically, we are pretty maniacal about making sure they understand go to market. And so sometimes we cannot find a marketing advantage that we think they can win on. So that would be one reason. And then I think it's a confluence of a bunch of the things like founder, product, market, kind of spread across all those things. But I think uniquely where we will say no is uh, we don't think they can win on go to market. And my final question is, can founders cold email you or warm intros only? Uh, they can. We have a uh, type form on our website for inbound pitches. And then we always are welcome to, to warm intros as well. Kathleen, thank you so much for coming on the Optimize podcast. We're going to include a link to your newsletter as well as to your website and to all your social profiles in the show notes. And you should all go and subscribe to the newsletter if you haven't already. Kathleen, is there anything else you want to say to our listeners? No, I think it's an exciting time to be a marketer right now. There's so much happening and changing in the space. And so while it can seem a little scary from some of the headlines, I think this is the best time for marketers to differentiate and use all the cool new tools and technologies out there to do your job more efficiently. So I think... It's as we wrap up kind of the year of AI and in a lot of ways, I think marketing's changing a lot. And so I just stay curious and, and play around with the new tools. And I think it it really is a unique opportunity as a marketer to do things that used to be somewhat prohibitive. I think it's a really exciting time to be building and growing startups from a marketing perspective. All right. Kathleen, thank you so much for coming on the Optimize podcast. Thank you. This episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by a special sponsor. If you're anything like me, you've probably got a lot of content that's not very well optimized and it can be a total pain in your butt to optimize it and ultimately get it to rank better in search. And that's what positional does. Positional has an incredible tool set for everything from content optimization to technical SEO and planning your editorial calendar. And if you don't know by now, I'm one of the co-founders of Positional and I'd love for you to check it out. 